Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Church, let me just uh, just commend you and your leadership and uh, just a wonderful time in, in BBS. I was only able to come a couple nights. But I, I will say, <clears throat> say this to all of us. Um, God, God wants us to do all we can to reach uh, children and students with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will honor and bless a church that loves children. Uh, y'all remember that. I know you know that this has nothing to do with my message today. But even those disciples struggle sometimes letting them little children come unto the Lord. He said, wait a minute now, let, me, let them come unto me. In fact, he lifted that child up. I remember many years ago doing it with my own nephew in front of my family. He lifted that child up, and he said, unless you become like one of these little children, you'll never make it to the kingdom of heaven. And the grown men around him were baffled, I'll be honest, because they thought the keys to the kingdom was something you know only scholars would know, scribes, and certainly you've got to be an adult to know what it means to know Jesus and to be assured of the kingdom. And he said, no, no, no. So when he lifted that child up, he said in a very simple way, it's childlike faith, it's trusting in me. And I will tell you, there's some children up here in front of us this morning that love the Lord and have trusted in a sincere way. Now, do they know everything about life? No. Do they know everything about the scriptures? No. But there are many up here that were in front of you this morning that know Jesus Christ personally and uh, passionately. And uh, yeah, they were, a little, they were a little timid in front of you. Don't get me wrong. If you, if you ever get up here uh, in front of you, I mean, sometimes, not, it's not about you. I don't mean that you're intimidating. I don't mean that at all. See, sometimes I say things that it comes out the wrong way. I don't mean that at all. Uh, but it can be intimidating. All that means to say, I think we need to have them out here more. Uh, I mean, I know, I, and I'm grateful for Camille and, uh, and, and, and the worship ministry and the student ministry, all that stuff. But as a fellowship, as a church, we need more of that. All right. Now, let's open the Bibles up to uh, 1 Kings. Go back to chapter 19 with me. We're in this series. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, Encountering God series. Last week, we saw uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel and, uh, and how God just moved mightily uh, among his people fire from heaven came down. You remember this. I don't need to go through all of that, uh, but just a wonderful story. And when I, when I originally prepared that, I mean, you can't help but to go into the next chapter because the story just continues. And now, if there's anything I can say, there's actually two encounters we're going to look at this morning. And I, and I wanted to break them up, but they need to stay together. And it's a personal encounter. So the message you know, it sounds simple, but it's just, in other words, Elijah's going to personally encounter the Lord on two specific ways, two specific places. And so we want to look at that in chapter 19. And the first one is in the wilderness or in the desert. The other one is on the mountain of God, Mount Hor, and uh, um, uh, where he will have his encounter. So let's, let's just jump right in. Again, it's kind of like last week. The scripture is almost self-explanatory. I mean, uh, you can kind of read it and get the flow of the story. Uh, so let's start in chapter 19 and verse 1 and 2, and I want to just kind of see the plight or the situation that Elijah's in. Now remember, Ahab is the king. Now Ahab, at, you know, after the move of God, after the fire of God fell, and not, and not just that, but the rain came. Remember, I didn't. the blessings of God fell, and Elijah prayed, and, and the storm came, and it was a massive storm. I mean, the winds blew, the torrential floods, and they had rained for years, almost three years now. They're in the third year of this drought, this famine. And so God has just done this miraculous work. But it's interesting in chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, 
Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, it's interesting. Let me just pause right there. If you had been there on that day and you had saw everything that happened, you would, you would have thought that Ahab would have thought about how fire from heaven fell and consumed the sacrifice. Or how it hadn't rained and Elijah prays and all of a sudden this massive storm arose out of the sea and it just flooded the area. But he has, it, I mean, it gives you an indication of Ahab's heart here. I mean, there's no indication that he even acknowledged anything that happened on that day is from the Lord. In fact, he goes back to his wife and, and you know, she's obviously not a believer. She's the one that brought all the prophets of Baal and all that from her hometown I mean, she was the one that was relentlessly pursuing the prophets, trying to kill them and really eradicate that. You know that. I reminded you last week. So he goes back almost to stir her up and, uh, and says, hey, look, I'm going to tell you everything that happened. All your prophets are gone. They're dead. He, had, he slaughtered every one of them. And, and there's no recognition of what God has done on this day. So Jezebel, in verse 2, sent a message to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, within 24 hours, if I don't mark your life like one of them. In other words, you're dead. I'm coming to get you. Somebody's going to get you. I promise you. If, it, if in 24 hours, you're going to be as dead as you, those prophets that got slaughtered. And so in the plight, and I mean, we see this. This is a, a perilous time. Now, this isn't the first time that Elijah's ever faced a perilous time. And you would have thought, now let me pause here just a moment. You would have thought, let me, let me just not talk about Ahab, but about the people of God and the condition and the culture of the community. You would have thought after such a miraculous outpouring of God's presence and his blessings upon the people that the culture would have changed, but it doesn't. Now, let me say, God is still at work, amen, even so today, even though sometimes some of you may find yourself in perilous times. Perilous moments. I mean, and, and, and unfortunately, we do. We live in a very difficult day, but let me, and sometimes a dark day. But let me remind all of us that God is on his throne and greatly at work. But make, make no mistake, Elijah's response to this is interesting to me. The plight is real, the threat is real, she is sincere. Some scholars say, well, she, she may not have really meant it, you know, in 24 hours. I, I have no doubt, she probably meant it. Listen, she had done it before. It wasn't like she was some, some empty threat. I mean, she, she meant business. What's interesting is when we see the perilous condition of Elijah in verse 3 and 4. is his response. Look in verse 3. Elijah was afraid or fearful and ran for his life. Ran for his life. Now, let's pause here just a minute. This is the great man of God that just called, just prayed, and God responded, answered by fire. Let me remind you, this is the same prophet of Elijah that God sent to Ahab originally. Then he sent him to a ravine, and little birds came and fed him. He was, he was, he was giving water out of a brook. And, and, and then all of a sudden, a widow. Food never ran out. I mean, God had already worked miracles in this man's life through this man. I mean, it's just an incredible. I mean, Elijah, when you look at the totality of Scripture, I mean, you, Elijah has a prominent place in Scripture and, and all the history of what the Lord's doing. And let me just be really honest with you this morning. I am so grateful that God has so allowed His Word, this Word, this documented testimony of Elijah in this moment for all of us. The Bible says he was afraid, fearful, and ran for his life emotionally and mentally and physically. He was done. In fact, look at this. Read on with me. 
when he came to Beersheba and Judah. Now, he left the whole area. He went down to Judah, to the neighboring, to the southern uh, uh, area. Kind of probably felt safe. He left his servant there, and he himself went a day's journey out into the desert. And he came to a broom tree or juniper tree out there in the desert, sat down under it, and prayed to the Lord. It's difficult sometimes to even read that. Prayed that he might die. Here's the words that are documented for us in the Word of God. Elijah says, I've had enough. I've had enough. That's the intent. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the tree and went to sleep. I am so thankful that God in his great awesomeness has allowed us this word right here. Because some of you might be sitting here and how in the world could Elijah, after experiencing the move of God, the miracles of God, the incredible ministry of God, come to a place in his life where he goes, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. I, I just love the vulnerability, the honesty that Elijah comes and he prays, the desperation. Emotionally, he's drained. Mentally, he's, he's, he's checked out. Physically, he's spent. You know, uh, some people might call this, I mean, I've I'm, I'm just been, been, been in ministry a long time. Some people might say, well, he's just burned out. Y'all don't talk about burnout. It's real. It's a real deal. You can love Jesus all you want. And if you don't take care of yourself, you'll get to the point that you might go, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't serve like I need to serve. I, I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm, 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 I can't keep working this way. I'm run too thin, spin too many different directions. And the truth is, in this condition, Elijah is very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. And I'm grateful for the Word of God because, I mean, I, I'm just telling you, church, it could be any one of us here this morning. In fact, I have no doubt there are some of you here this morning, and you might be echoing the words of Elijah here today and say, I'm done. I'm spent. I've been doing all this stuff, all this. I'm running, 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 working, 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 trying to do this, trying to do that, and I am done. And what happens is we get to the end of ourselves and we're very unhealthy. In a very basic way, I can, I can just share with you this, and you'll see it in here. You need three things. You need sleep. You need food. Right? You need some activity. You're going to see that in his world in just a moment. But you also need some quiet time. And here, is, and I mean, here it is real simply. The Lord looks at what's happened. He lays down to go to sleep. And I love, I love this because what do we see next? The provision of God in verse 5 through 7. Elijah lays down to go to sleep. Some of the translators say that God just kind of helped him fall into that sleep. In other words, he, he was at the end of himself and the Lord just let him go to sleep there under that broom tree. By the way, the shade is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's just a picture of the grace of God. I mean, if you've been outside any this week, I know you have, Randy. I mean, just get some shade, right? It's a what a difference. And in one sense, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to spiritualize it too much. God knows what he needs before he doesn't even ask it. He finds a broom tree out there in the middle of the wilderness. Crawls underneath it. God provided shade for him. But he doesn't just stop there at once. Look at this in verse 5. The angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and touched him. I mean, touched him and said, get up, man. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of, uh, of bread baked over hot coals. Angel of the Lord had been there for some time baking up this meal. 
I mean, look at the preparation that God went through just to, just to come to Elijah. The work, the intentional, the personal touch that he does. The hospitality. I can go on and on and on how God in his grace comes to us in our time of need. It's not just a word to say God's grace is sufficient. It's for real. And God knows how to meet our needs personally right now. I mean, when I see this in Elijah, I mean, what a man of God and work of God, all these done. But God, I see the gentleness of the Lord when he comes to him, touches him and says, get up, man. Here's something to eat. Not only did he give him something to eat, he gave him some water to drink. He was dehydrated. And quite honestly, if you look back to the previous chapter, he hadn't eaten anything for some time. He was famished and dehydrated. And the Lord just meeting some basic needs in his life. Why? Because he's extremely unhealthy. Let me just say to you, if you're unhealthy, you'll begin to think things that aren't true. You will begin to have things run amok in your mind that are not true. I had a dear friend of, me, friend of mine years ago, ran a rescue mission. He said, Jay, the most difficult thing is to get the, is to get the stinking thinking out of somebody's mind. I'm talking about people that are down and out. Because thoughts run amok. But friend, it's not just in the rescue mission. It's in our homes, in our houses. It's me. I've been there, done this. Friend, there are times in my life, even so now, man, you get, you get famished, you get tired, you get dehydrated, and you'll have thoughts that'll run across your head that aren't true. Elijah's no different. And I love the graciousness of God. It, it, you know, he, 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 he says all these things, take my life no better than my ancestors. In fact, some commentators say, you know, he looked at what he did, but nothing changed. I mean, look at what happened in the previous chapter. And he's beginning to, uh, you know, the, the, the Jezebel's still doing her thing. They're still riding against it. There's, a, there's the real threat of them coming. He's, nothing's changed in the culture after God moves so mightily amongst them. And he's overwhelmed with the reality. He knows the history of Israel. You can go all the way back to Moses in the beginning. He understands the rebellious heart of people. And he's overwhelmed with it. He said, I'm no better than them. I can't make anything happen. I can't make anything change. I'm, I've done all that I know. I, I, I'm done. I can't do anything. And the truth is, there's a, there, see, listen, listen, please hear me. If you think it's all about you, not good thinking. If you think it's me and my obedience that's going to change the world, it's not. It's God and His grace. It's God manifesting His glory. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I understand obedience is important, but it's all about Him. You see what's happening? In this moment, Elijah really fixated on Him. God is so gracious. Gives him something to eat, something to drink, and lays him back down to sleep. He says, you need to go back to bed. Sometimes you just need some rest. Please hear that. Some of you workaholics, you need some rest. There's a reason why you get days off. Take them. I, I mean, I'm, I, I work with people right now. I'm, listen, I'll talk about my folks at Glenwood. I got people right now that have over 700 hours of leave time stored up. I can't keep any of mine. I've got like 10 left. I mean, I'm planning my days off before I can. I'm hoping. I wish I was like the teachers and could borrow from somebody. I would. I'm being serious. Take time off from work. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. You need to rest. Go out there and play something. Do something different. All right. The angel of the Lord comes back to him a second time. Touched him. I, I see the grace of God. He's not, he knows he's not ready. Touched him again. Says, get up and eat. Feeds him again. Gave him something to drink. All this stuff. And now at this point, not only do we see God's provision, but all, please hear me. It's at this point now that Elijah's able to hear clearly from the Lord. 
See, you know, before, before, it's, he's not, I mean, now, now look at this. I mean, look at the, what happened. He's hearing clearly from the Lord, but, but now his condition has changed, and he's not in his right place. He's famished. He's dehydrated. He's not thinking well. He's not healthy at this moment, and he's overwhelmed with these thoughts. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't do this anymore. My am no better than my ancestors. And the Lord comes to him after he takes care of his basic needs and says, hey, get up. It's time to eat again. Why? Because you need to be strengthened. Why? Because I need you to travel 40 days and 40 nights and go to the mountain of God. Get up. Go. It's time to go. It's time to go. So at this point, Elijah is able to hear from the Lord clearly. And I, and I will say this to you again, and I will say it again and again. God is after our heart. He wants me and you to hear clearly from him day in and day out. <clears throat> He's not interested in your routine or your religious activity. It's not. Don't get, please don't hear anything but this. That God desires you. He died for you. He rose again for you. I mean, that really is the hope of glory. Christ in us. The communion, it's not just wafers and juice that we partake of. I mean, it is a real intimate relationship with a real, personal, almighty, wonderful, amazing God who loves you more than you'll ever know. Please hear that this morning. <clears throat> Elijah is experiencing the graciousness and the goodness of God. And so he hears from God the plan. So here we go. Now we move into the second encounter, the mountain encounter. So, he, so what happens in verse 8, he gets up, uh, and he, he, after he ate and drank, he strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And I, what I want, to, I want to remind us here, there's a journey of preparation. We see it in verses 7 and 8 as he's having to travel 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible doesn't say that he ate anything or drank anything during this time. It's almost like God has supernaturally provided for his needs, met his needs, touched him, fed him. Gave him stuff to drink, and now he has set off for 40 days and 40 nights, moving, doing, being obedient to the Lord to go to the mountain of God to reach Horeb. Now, I, I will say to you, the 40 days and 40 nights is a, is a clear indication here. You can go back to the days of Moses in Exodus 24, 18. On this same mountain, Moses met with the Lord. It's on this same mountain. And you, please hear me, God... Is a God not just a... Yes, there's a history, and there's a present. And so, so, he's, so, so Elijah knows where he's heading. He knows the history of this. He knows that Moses met with the Lord face-to-face -face on this mountain. But you've got to get prepared. If you want to meet with God face-to-face, -face, to hear clearly from the Lord. And so there's a preparation. Forty days, forty nights as he's traveling. You can imagine what's going through his mind as he's going to the mountain of God. You can almost sense his anticipation. I'm going to hear from the Lord face-to-face. -face. He knows the history. By the way, we know forward in the New Testament. What was it? Jesus, when he was confronted in the same will in the wilderness, the desert, by the by the devil. What did he do? Forty days and forty nights. Fasting. Then the devil comes to him. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a word here for us that says if we really want to meet with the Lord, intimately and personally, there's preparation. And in Elijah's moment, he it's a journey of preparation. And let me say to all of us, we're on a journey. It's not a destination. Church is us. We are the people of God called out of darkness, walking in a marvelous light. It's us. We're the people of God. This isn't it. It's us. 
We're the people of God walking in obedience to the Lord, being led by the Spirit of God day in and day out. We gather so we can worship Him together, hear from the Lord together. Yes, be commissioned. Yes, to be uh, fed, right? To, to drink of the water, of the living water, to be refreshed and renewed. But we're on a journey. Please, please hear this. We're, listen, this isn't our home. You know this. I'm reminding you things you already know. So he's on this journey of preparation. I see that. And you can see it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. As he's approaching the mountain of God, you can just imagine what's going through him. Now what's interesting is when he gets there, at the end of verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him as he was in the cave, and he asked a question. He's going to ask it a couple times. He says, uh, he says what are you doing here? That's an interesting question, right? I mean, he's already told him to come. He said, what are you doing here? So there's something more going on to the story, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a question, but the Lord... The, he, let me just say, God is so good about doing this, isn't he? About us. When we open up the Word of God, he'll penetrate our heart. And all of a sudden, he'll, he'll ask us a question. He may be asking you the question here this morning. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What's interesting is what Elijah says. Now look at this, because I'm, I'm I'm I titled this the, the complaint. The complaint in verse 10. Look at this. He replied, I've been zealous for you, Lord. I mean, that's what he's saying. You can almost kind of sense the emotion. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars. Remember, he had to repair the altar on Mount Carmel because it was broken down. They had already forgotten about the Lord. And put your prophets to death with the sword. He's telling them, I mean, he's just giving him the complaint. In fact, look at this. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And, I, and I'm saying it with a little, little emotional here. I mean, you get that. But I, I have no doubt that's what Elijah's doing. He's complaining. I mean, read the Psalms. It's a lot of them, they're called complaint Psalms. If we can't be real, we don't have a relationship. Now, some of y'all, Mr. Miss Sunshine, all the day, right? Every day's a new day and you're bopping around, woo, woo, all this stuff. I know you are. But sometimes things happen in our world, in our life, and we complain about them. Now, I will tell you this. You can complain to your spouse. Probably not going to get much on that. Or take that complaint to the Lord. That's what Elijah does. It's interesting. God, God says, what are you doing here? And he just unloads a complaint on him. As if God didn't know the condition of what was happening. Isn't it interesting? But, I, but man, I'm, again, the graciousness of God. He really doesn't rebu rebuke him at all. He just lets him cry it out. Come on, give it to me. I, I will tell you, the God we serve knows you more than you know yourself. And I, that sounds weird, but I'm telling you, he knows everything. He knows every thought that's ever going to come across your head. He knows what's in your mind right now. He does, every bit of it. Just be honest with him. Be real. Be real. Be real. If you're real, I promise you, there's a relationship. But God's taking him on a journey. Remember, the journey's not over yet. He lets him complain. He lets him have his moment. Just let it out. And now, now look, in verse, uh, verse 11, he gives him a word. I'm going to call it the anticipation. Now, he's been on this journey. He knows he's going to Mount Horeb. He knows the history. Moses met face to face with the Lord. I'm going to meet with the Lord. I'm going to get my complaint heard. I'm going to get some answers over here. I mean, he knows it's about to happen. In verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Now what I love about this, the Lord's already talking to him. There's already a conversation happening. 
And, and when I, when I, I mean, just as clearly as this, he's in the cave. And, and the Lord said, look, I mean, let me just say it again. Go out and stand on the mountain. He said, I'm about to pass by. There's something about this journey. There are moments, this moment in Elijah's life, it's not, it's like God's inviting him to draw closer to him. Now, let me just say this clearly. Elijah's heart, he's complaining and whining about what's going on. But God, this is an opportunity to draw near to the Lord. You wouldn't think that. Oftentimes, difficulties in our world, or let me say it this way, challenges and difficulties in our life present opportunities to draw near. And so we see this in Elijah's life right here. He, he is complaining, and God doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't chat. He, doesn't, he said, look, look, look. He said, I need you to come outside. Because I'm about to pass by. You, you're about, we're about to get real personal here. And it's almost like he, he's drawing him out of the cave. The cave is a great symbol. The cave is sometimes where we're stuck. We're in the cave. We're in that place, those thoughts. And maybe Elijah was stuck with the thoughts of complaint, thoughts of how bad he was, thoughts that he was no better than the ancestors, thoughts of all these things. And God's drawing him out of that darkness and says, come on out here. I want to meet with you. Beautiful picture of God's grace. God's grace. So when he goes outside, that's the anticipation. He's coming outside. And what's interesting is 12 and 13, we see God's revelation. And you see this pattern. God has given us this pattern. I guess every Sunday I've been with you of preparation, anticipation, and now God's revealing himself. And the word of God says this. Look with me here uh, at the end of verse 11. The Lord says, I'm about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Or some translations, a still, small voice. In fact, the, the, going back to some of the Greek of the Old Testament, it says, the sound of a gentle breeze. And when a lot, look, this, this, this is good, verse 13. Elijah heard it. He heard the voice of the Lord. Sometimes the big stuff distracts us from really hearing from the Lord. And please hear me. I mean, he had already seen God work in a fire, right? The rain that came was a thunderstorm. It unleashed on the... I mean, I can imagine. And, and no doubt the ground could shake. And he understood that. There probably were moments when God... No doubt God had demonstrated his gratefulness, his power. But now God's doing something different in Elijah's world. And he's drawing him out of that darkness, out of those thoughts. And he's drawing him to a place. And he's inviting him to come to be a little more intimate with him. And the Bible says it's just a gentle whisper. It's a still, small voice. Paul would say it this way. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's the gentleness of the Spirit of God nudging on your heart and saying, Come here. Come here. I need to talk to you. It's unmistakable. Elijah heard it. The moment he heard it, he goes, Oh, that's my invitation. I'm going. By the way, it is an invitation. If God is knocking on the door of your heart, if he's speaking to you, it is an invitation to come to him. 
Remember, Jesus said it this way in Revelation, Behold, I knock on the door. And that's a picture of salvation, but it's a picture of intimacy and fellowship as well. It's not a one-time hearing of the Lord. It is an, it's a life of living, listening to the Lord. And Elijah hears it. Thanks be to God, right? And let me say this. We can hear it as well. That gentle whisper, that peace, that tug, that knocking. It's an invitation. And Elijah knew that, so he steps outside. What I love about this is... Um, God asking the same thing again. What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? And you know what Elijah does? He just goes back to what he said before. He says the same thing. He said, God, did, didn't you hear me? The first? I mean, he doesn't say it this way, I know. But he says, didn't you hear me the first time? He repeats the same thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord. You know this. The Israelites rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put the prophets to death by the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And God is so gracious with him. He's stuck. He's stuck in a mindset. He, hang on. He does not see clearly what the Lord is doing in the nation at this moment. God's grace in this moment reminds Elijah of his calling, his purpose, and yes, correction of his thoughts. And let me say, God's no different today. But let me just, let me just say, what, what does God do? He doesn't rebuke him. The Lord said to him, listen to this in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back. There's work to be done. Go back. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat, from, uh, I can't even pronounce that right now, to succeed you as a prophet. What did he say in this moment? He says, Elijah, in your distress and all that you've done, you've gotten to a place where you're not hearing from me correctly. You've forgotten your call. You've forgotten what I purposed you to do in this moment. There's still work to be done. And he reminds him of that in this gentleness, in this moment. He reminds him, hey, you've got work to go back. Go back the way you came. Go back over here and do this, do this, do this, do this. He also corrects him. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been corrected by the Lord. But it's just part of living life in Jesus' name. is correction, right? It's not a bad thing. It's part of having a relationship with him. But look at this, and, 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 and it comes out. Look in verse 18. In this moment, God says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, in Israel, where you just came from, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. We're not talking about the prophets, the preachers, and all those people. We're talking about people. We're talking about common people, people that have declared their allegiance to the Lord. They hadn't backed down. They haven't gone that way, and they're still there. He said, I've got a 7,000. Some will say, well, that, that, that may be a literal number. It may just be the number of fullness. He said, I've got a witness there. I've got people there that have not bowed down to this idolatry. Now, I say that because, I mean, God emphatically in this moment gets his mind off of that stuff and back onto what God had called him to do. And, and God is saying, look, I, I'm not done with the people of Israel. 
And I've reserved those people there. And I've got a plan for those people there. Greater than what you can understand in this moment. But it's okay. Elijah, you going back and do what I've called you to do. Come on. So here we are this morning. Um, in 2022. And God has so allowed me to be with you these three, a few Sundays. In this little series, I, I want to try to title it God Encounters. I'm just reminding you, and, re, and God's reminding us, that God is a personal God who still encounters us personally today. Here's what we're about to do. Because, you know, as, and as hard as a preacher, sometimes you get to these times of response and you're, you know, you get things in your mind, you sense the Lord wants to do something. Here, here's, here's what I know. And anytime I start going down a road in my mind, it usually is not always accurate. I get chasing things. But please hear this this morning. Please hear this. God really wants to speak to your heart today. There, I have no idea why you're here today. I have no idea personally. But I promise you that the Lord knows you intimately and knows why you're here today. I'm talking about here today. So, so we're about to stand and we're going to sing, sing one verse. We're going to sing two verses. We're going to sing one verse. And all I'm, all I'm asking you to do as we stand, just prayerfully open your heart to the Lord. And just, as you sing, listen. Listen. Maybe the Lord wants to say something to you in your world, your situation right now. So let's stand to our feet. Father, we just want to ask you right now, as Gavin leads us in this song, God, that you would take this moment and help us to hear clearly from you as we worship you in this song this morning. Go ahead, Gavin.